Well, Radio Pulpit and Radio Cape Pulpit, it is good to be with you this morning. It's Mark Penrith. I'm your host for the show, Table Talk with Mark, where we answer your Bible questions. Today I'll be joined by Temple Pitzel, my partner in crime extraordinaire from Crystal Park Baptist Church, where we serve the church by taking care of the souls of men and changing the light bulbs as and when necessary. In the wonderful city of Benoni, in the awesome metropole of Ekruleni. Um, shout out to everyone who's tuning in from our neck of the woods. But we do realize that we have an audience all over the, all over, I was going to say the city, I actually meant to say the country. Uh, sunny South Africa tunes to Radio Pulpit on Friday mornings at 9 and then through to 11 to listen to questions answered. And so whether you are in... Um, East London, Cape Town, or Pofada, we do greet you. It is great to have you with us this morning. As usual, please do drop a hi in whatever mechanism that you are using. Just so that we know that you're there, it's always great to hear from regular listeners. It's always great to hear from new listeners. You can do that by commenting on Facebook right under the live stream on the Radio Pulpit Radio Console Facebook page. You can uh, drop a note in. I get to see that right on the screen in front of me. Uh, You can also um, uh, WhatsApp and Telegram. The number is, you need to write this down now, 082-657-2729. Love getting voice notes on WhatsApp and Telegram. This morning, uh, we are joined by our uh, studio technician, Mpo, who's making sure that the lights stay on and that we get to hear your voice notes as they come in that whatsapp number 0826572729 and you can speak to us live on air by dialing into the studio line the number on the studio is 0123341322 i do look forward to speaking to you this morning Folk, we do have um, an interesting show today. We're going to start off and kick off by speaking to our regular guest on the show, Michael Swain, who is the Executive Director of 4SA. Um, Michael has done so much with his life. He has studied law. He has been successful in business. He's a co-founder of the His People, Every Nation Church Movement in South Africa. And he joins us weekly to talk about the relationship between the church and the state. Uh, what's going on at state level that affects um, us at church level? What's going on at church level that really should be affecting uh, state level? And so this morning, uh, he joins us representing Freedom of Religion South Africa, which is a legal advocacy organization working to protect and promote the constitutional right to religious freedom in South Africa. Michael. It's so good to have you with us this morning, brother. Wonderful to be on your show, Mark. So good to be with you and with your listeners. Now, it rained. I mean, I I realize you don't dial in to talk about the rain, but it rained all (laughs) of last night in Gauteng. It was wonderful. Just like this beautiful, persistent, nonstop rain. I, I actually lay awake for large portions of the night just listening to it and rejoicing. My heart was really elevated. Uh, How are you guys doing down in Cape Town? You know, we never complain about the rain anymore. You just had to have lived through the drought. <laughs> Every drop of rain is like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> well, we do pray for you guys as well, because uh, recognize that uh, drought all over the country, or let's say water shortage um, all over the country is a problem in South Africa. And so 
Um, we do remember folk uh, all over the land, particularly those down at the coast who don't get enough, <laughs> who don't get enough rain, and our farmers who need rain in order to grow crops. But, Michael, <laughs> this morning, um, I'm reminded that last week you uh, mentioned that 4SA is teaming up with Joy South, uh, Magazine uh, for a series of webinars. I actually saw a couple of photos uh, that I think Nadine or yourself had been posting on Facebook uh, regarding religious freedom issues, and that those are every Monday in the month of October between 7 and 8 o'clock. Um, is registration still open for those, and how much does it cost? Yes, the good news is registration is still open. In fact, we had to extend the registration because we quickly ran out of our initial number of seats. But it is still open. It is free of charge. You can hop onto our website at www.forsa.org.za. And we're going to be doing a series, as you said, in the month of October. It is Religious Freedom Month, and it's called The Front Lines in the Fight for Faith and Freedom. And we're going to be looking at some of the most important and current and topical issues affecting faith. Uh, this Monday, uh, which is coming up shortly, uh, is going to be beyond 2021. And we're going to be looking at the importance of religious freedom, the unique contributions of the faith community. We're going to be looking at our high court case against the Cogta minister concerning lockdowns. And also we're going to consider the growing push for mandatory vaccinations and vaccine passports and really ask like where to from here for South Africa. So you can literally register now, go click on the link on the website, uh, take you two minutes, and then you can come to all four uh, of, or any of the four of the webinars that we're going to be having every Monday night at 7 p.m., kicking off Monday, 4th of October. So be there and we'll look forward to, it's going to be interactive. Uh, you can ask your questions as well. We're going to leave time for that. So it's going to be, I think, a really interesting time. Oh, Michael, this is, I mean, this is really excellent. Well done on the initiative. Um, as I look through the kinds of questions that you're dealing with, this is right up my alley. I'm interested in listening to this as well. Uh, one question. I'm away this Monday, so I'm not going to be able to log on and listen to what's happening on the webinar. Are these going to be recorded and made available anywhere else later on? Yes, we, we will record them and we will post them up subsequently. Okay, fascinating. Well, really looking forward uh, to that. Um, Michael, uh, this past week, uh, 4SA was in Chatsworth, KwaZulu-Natal. Uh, what were the issues that you guys were involved in? Well, this is an interesting case. It's been ongoing. It's concerning a young evangelist, Simeon Chetty, who was taken to court under Papuda. Remember, Papuda is the Promotion of Equality and the Prevention of Unfair Discrimination Act. And there was an amendment bill that we were vigorously opposed to. But even under the existing Papuda, uh, he was taken to court for hate speech by three Hindu organizations. He was invited to an event. He spoke in his private capacity. And th this is what they considered to be hate speech. He said, my father was a Telugu, my mother was a Tamil. And while they were growing up, they said, you know what? They have no meaning. They worship idols, he said. They worship other gods. But I'm here to tell you that the name of Jesus is above every other name. I don't think amen. anybody would typically <laughs> do anything other than say amen if they were a Christian to that remark. And yet he's been taken to court. Uh, the Hindu applicants are asking for hundreds of thousands of rands in compensation. Uh, they want him to apologize unreservedly, to commit to not repeat this type of statement again, and also to perform community service in one of the Hindu temples for, I think, 200 hours. Now, we obviously believe that this is not hate speech. And specifically, there are significant uh, constitutional court cases, judgments, precedents for 
free religious speech. And under no circumstances do we believe that he has breached the threshold of hate speech. And so we were in court trying to get ourselves admitted as an amicus curiae, as a friend of the court, to basically bring the legal position to the uh, notice of the magistrate so that he can understand the law, which we are obviously very expert in in this area, and make a good decision. And we were opposed. The Hindu organizations, even though we're neutral in this instance, we're just simply presenting, well, we're not supporting Chetty or we're not supporting them. We're just saying what the law says. They did not want our voice to be heard. But thankfully, the magistrate overrode them yesterday. And we are now in this case. So uh, it's just, a, I think, perhaps a little chilling, though. Uh, and maybe this is why we're so uh, focused on the hate speech bill at the moment, because he found himself in court facing potentially ruinous fines simply because he said something which somebody else decided amounted to hate speech. I mean, this is kind of exactly what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, where um, people's perception of the law or possible changes and amendments to the law itself means that if a person is just generally offended, <laughs> kind of like you catch them on a bad day, they haven't had their cup of coffee, they haven't eaten their rusk, uh, they can take massive offense to what a person on the other side of the table is saying, take them to court and, uh, and sue them for lots of money. I, I mean, realistically, what's the chances of something like this succeeding? It just sounds so bananas. Well, here, here's the crazy thing. As you know, today, and this is, please, everybody pay attention. This is the last day, October the 1st, Friday, when you can make submissions on the hate speech bill. This isn't a situation like uh, Simeon Chetty's facing. This will criminalize hate speech for the first time in South Africa's legal history with a three-year jail sentence and or limitless fine for a first offense. And bizarrely, the test for this hate speech to make it criminal and which will send you to jail is easier to establish than the test in Pampuda, which Chetty is facing, which only carries a fine or some other non-custodial penalty. So the, the criminal uh, definition of hate speech is sufficient if you prove a clear intention that the offending speech is harmful. That's where it can stop because it then says all that would incite harm or to promote or propagate hatred. Whereas the hate speech definition under Papuda, you have to show that there's a clear intention to be harmful or to incite harm and to propagate and promote hatred. So it's literally a, a lower standard to get yourself caught up in a hate speech criminal case than it is in a civil case, which is absolutely bizarre. And they did not amend the definition before they re-released the hate speech bill. Uh, and they only gave, by the way, 25 days for us to comment on it. And by the way, harm is any emotional, psychological, or social harm, very undefined. What does that mean exactly? The other problem we have with it, of course, is that we did, after the last round, uh, get a religious exemption clause inserted in the bill. But the Deputy Minister uh, of Justice, John Jeffrey, told Parliament that he didn't believe, well, he said it, he believed it would only protect uh, otherwise offending religious speech if it was made uh, or spoken from a pulpit on a Sunday in a mosque or a church or wherever, but if the same words were used in everyday situations, like you post the sermon that you heard on Sunday on your Facebook page, and that can literally land you up in jail, <laughs> arrested, charged, tried, and potentially sent to jail. So we are saying that there needs to be very important adjustments to this bill, 
we need to get to the definition, at least matching the definition the Constitutional Court gave for hate speech for the civil action. It should even be a higher bar, you would think. Uh, and we certainly need to toughen up and tighten up the religious exemption clause. So we need everybody, everybody, please take five minutes of your time and go to the 4SA website, forsa.org.za. Go to the 4SA website, click on the link. You'll see in the spotlight, there's an image of a man with a piece of tape over his mouth because it's chilling for free speech for this type of legislation and make your submission as an individual. You go straight through to a platform. It literally takes you five minutes. And if you don't know what to say, just say, I support 4SA's submission. Good news is that incredibly, two days ago, there were less than 14,000 uh, si signal submissions have been made through the site. I looked at it this morning, 75,000 submissions have now been made on the site. And we want to get it over 100,000. So we literally have between now and midnight to make those submissions. If you haven't done one before, do it for the first time. Make your voice heard. The more submissions that we make, the louder our voice becomes and government must listen. So if you don't want to live in a world where you can literally be arrested for expressing your faith in, faith in public, this is your moment to speak up and be counted. Michael, uh, I, I remember, I think uh, you might have posted that yesterday there were eight submission, uh, one submission every eight seconds that the site actually uh, collapsed underneath all the pressure. Have you guys resolved the technical issues? Uh, will yes, people no, be able to make I mean, I'm so glad. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's, it's in a sense a nice problem to have that people are enthusiastic. Thank mm. God the body of Christ is finally waking up to these things and understanding that this is a democracy. We don't simply have to wait until something happens and now we've got to live with the consequences. We can at this moment in time exercise our civil duties, our responsibilities as South African citizens and make sure that our voices are heard. If we don't want these laws and we don't want to be living under them and our children to be living under them, then this is our moment to speak up. Mm. My mother and I on Wednesday uh, sat together after listening to what you had said uh, last week, we sat together, we worked through it together and made our submissions together. Um, it was a very simple process, drop down menu, you select if you want to speak to a specific clause or if you want to speak to the bill in general, uh, you get to type um, your own concerns uh, into a text. Um, it clearly requires you to have convictions. This isn't just a matter of clicking on, a, uh, clicking on the, the image on the 4SA website and then going to DSA and just you know, adding, your, adding a checkbox or just pushing one button. You, you need to have a conviction. You need to select uh, what you are actually speaking against. But this is well worth South Africa speaking against. Uh, we need to have this legislation correctly motivated and in place. Uh, in order to protect our ongoing rights to religious freedom in South Africa. Michael, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Um, really enjoy the partnership for the sake of the gospel with you. You are a clear thinker, a clear speaker, um, and a good bell and banner raiser uh, in times of trouble just like this. So thank you so much for the work that you guys do. Please convey that to the rest of your team as well. I certainly will. Thank you, Mark. And again, please also sign up for our webinars for Monday uh, and we can talk about these things some more. But by that stage, we'll know the result, by the way. So all the more reason to uh, come to the webinars on Monday, free on the website. Just click the link and register and we look forward to seeing you there at seven o'clock. Well done, Michael. Thank you so much.
Well, to the Radio Pulpit listeners, it is great to be with you this morning, as it is great to be with you every Friday. Um, whether you are listening on 657 AM Radio Pulpit, whether you are listening on 729 AM Radio Cape Pulpit, whether you are checking out the stream on Facebook, uh, on the Radio Pulpit Radio Console Facebook page, or on DSTV maybe, channel 882, Open View channel 607, watching the stream, listening to the stream on our website, www radiopulpit.co.za it's great to have you with us uh, thanks so much for joining and again today is intended to be an opportunity for you to have your bible questions answered live on air uh, in order to get that done i'm joined by my friend uh, tepo pitzel i'm going to bring him in shortly but let me tell you how you can get your questions rolling in firstly WhatsApp and Telegram. You can send WhatsApp and Telegrams in. Um, Teresa, we are expecting our, <laughs> our usual suspects um, to be sending in their Telegrams and their WhatsApps to 0826572729. Let me say that again so you can write it down on a piece of paper. 0826572729. Get those voice notes rolling in. It's always great to hear your voice um, and to listen to you live on air. If you are a twit, uh, you can tweet on the handle at 657am. We will see that in studio. And then we have a studio line for folk that want to call in live. Thank you so much for those that do. It's always great to be able to talk to you and maybe get clarification around your question and engage a little bit with you. The number for the studio line is 1322. I'm going to say that again because I'd love you to dial in, especially if you're a long-time listener. You know, if uh, I know your name, but I haven't heard your voice, this would be a great time and a great opportunity to dial in. The number is 0123341322. We are looking forward to hearing from you. I think at this stage, maybe I should just uh, bring Teppo in. Teppo, how are you doing, brother? It is good to see you. I'm doing very well. It's good to see you too. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, you guys experienced the exact same rain that I experienced this morning. Yet mm. you are wearing a jersey <laughs> and I am wearing a t-shirt. What is going on here? Is today really that cold? Uh, so if, if you do know, you are European and I am <laughs> South African. <laughs> Yo, we're going we're gonna to bring that into it. That's hysterical. <laughs> Like, I woke up this morning and I was like, oh, it's such a beautiful day. I want to put on my brightest shirt. Yeah. I want to put on my shorts. And I'm coming to church in plackies. Um, you decided to put, put on two pairs of socks, oh. um, a pair of pants, <laughs> and, and a jersey. It's crazy. What's going on here? Oh, no, man. Um, it's, it's a bit chilly outside. I don't know what's wrong with you, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is good to have uh, you with us this morning. Brother, as we, as we begin to think through um, just some of the questions that we're going to be addressing today, mm -hmm. um, I wanted to start off by talking about a Bible read. Um, friends, if you're listening in, let me just tell you from my side that there is no greater mechanism for growing in your understanding of God's Word and your application of God's Word because now you are aware of God's Word mm -hmm. uh, and His will, His way, His path in your life than by reading Scripture. 
Um, we read scripture in different ways. I yeah. mean, we, we study scripture. Sometimes we take one verse and we pay careful attention to it. We unpack it and we mm-hmm. pull it apart and then we put it back together when we understand it. We, we might meditate on it, murmur it, mutter it in our, mm-hmm. in our minds, going over it over and over and over again to ensure that we bury it deep in our hearts. That's one way to approach scripture. One particular way that I love to advocate is to read God's word. Um, chapters of it in a day um, and to work through God's word consecutively um, once, uh, did I say once a year? <laughs> no, no, no um, four times a year um, a group of folk read through, God, read through the New Testament uh, we begin once every three months uh, and we start in the book of Matthew and we read through the New Testament we get to Revelation and then you know what we do after that? <laughs> we start from the beginning and today is the first of October there are three months left in the year mm-hmm. and so today we are beginning the process of reading through the New Testament I'm going to put the link for that um, onto the Facebook um, onto the Facebook show notes I'll put it into the comments below um, the show is shared to the Crystal Park Baptist Church website as well as to Pastor Mark Penrith uh, on Facebook you can follow me on Facebook uh, looking forward to um, seeing who you are online and I will put links to reading through the Bible in three months uh, in, onto all of those places I'll do it right now mm-hmm. as we begin to just talk about why people would read through the Bible and so Temple, maybe just to pass the question over to you. Brother, mm-hmm. why read through the Bible? Do you read through the Bible? If so, how? What Bible translation do you use? And what mechanisms do you use uh, in order um, to make that a valuable experience? Okay, so firstly, um, I have a different way of reading through the Bible. Um, I'm more of a person who likes studying the text rather than just going through it. So I'll probably spend months <laughs> on studying a particular book. Uh, like for instance, I've been stuck in Kings and I actually, actually was tempted <laughs> because I was studying, uh, I was going through Kings. I was tempted to preach on First Kings chapter 3 and just how Solomon asked for wisdom. Like he didn't want anything else at that moment and he asked for wisdom. And so I've been spending a lot of time and just seeing how young the kings were when they um, were selected. So I think it's different for each and every one, but it's very important that we do um, have a method of studying God's word uh, because God's word speaks into our lives as Christians and it directs us. So from there, we are able to know how to apply um, theology into our lives. We basically know how to make decisions <laughs> when certain issues arise, make God-glorifying decisions. And yeah, we, we just know how to live because there's no other direction that we can take other than from God's word. So, yeah. so, so here, comes a, here comes a side question, Tepo. Yeah. Um, maybe somebody from youth, maybe somebody from young adults comes to you and says, um, Tepo, I'd like to read the Bible. What translation should I use? Mm-hmm. Um, how would you go about answering that question? And what mechanisms would you give to them in terms yeah. of reading God's Word? So if I were to say to a young person who wants to go through the Bible, <laughs> which translation? Firstly, I would, I, would, I would definitely say that she'd go with the CSB 
because the CSB, which is the Christian Standard Bible, um, is very easy to read. It's a it's a very easy read, right? Um, um, so that is that is basically what I would uh, say that they would read uh, that they should read. And then secondly, um, for a person who wants to get through the Bible, I definitely give them a plan um, because they they might just take too long to get through the Bible if there's no direction into um, how to get through the Bible. So a plan would definitely work. So there are different plans. There are, um, like now we at Crystal Park, we have a plan that lasts for three months and that is for just the New Testament. And there are whole year plans, like from January, the 1st of January to the 31st of December, you go through um, Genesis uh, right up until um, Revelation. So that as well is another form of studying God's word. So yeah, but for me preferably, and I didn't answer the question, um, which, which uh, translation do I like or do I use? Um, I think <laughs> it's, it's, it's different. I think, so I've gone through the Bible mostly uh, using the New King James Version. Don't judge me. <laughs> and then um, I've gone through the Bible using the ESV. Um, so currently I'm reading the CSB. Uh, so yeah, I think I think as a person, it depends on which translation you prefer and which translation you understand more. And I think, yeah, that's basically what I would say to the person. Do or read whatever is better for you to read, um, but also have a plan, especially if you are new to Bible reading. So, yeah, that's basically what I would say. And if a young person, a youth, came to me and said, I want to get through, to the, uh, through the Bible, I definitely keep track of where they are because... They may need guidance. Um, they may have questions. And so that's basically a good way to make sure that they do really get through it. And not just through it for the sake of going through it, but also understand some of the major themes that come up um, in, their, in their Bible read. Mm. Yeah, It's very helpful. I, I, you know, just thinking of the group that's reading through the Bible right now together mm. with other people in our church. Um, and it might be up to 50 people at this stage around there. And I do find, um, both for myself as well as for others, that some mechanism of accountability is very helpful mm -hmm. when you go through God's Word. And it's not just about making sure that someone sticks to it. Yeah. Um, because, you know, the Bible is, is often, you know, when you, when you start something new, you often start like really quickly um, mm -hmm. and you kind of get into it and you enjoy it. Um, and so, you know, Matthew is generally an easy book to get through. In fact, so are Luke, um, Mark and John, uh, together with Acts. But, but Acts, you know, 28 chapters, once you start getting toward the end chapters and Paul is <laughs> repeating things that he has said before in terms of his testimony before other mm -hmm. people, um, then you hit the book of Romans and all of a sudden the theology goes through the roof, you know, Paul's mechanisms for speaking and uh, the topics that he's engaging with. 
uh, they become incredibly complex. And so at that point, accountability becomes very, very helpful. Mm -hmm. um, and also the, the mechanism of having somebody that you can approach if you hit something complex. Uh, you know, for instance, Romans chapter 9 to 11, you know, what does this mean? You mm -hmm. know, um, mm -hmm. uh, how, and, and, then, and then as you shift gears and you hit Romans chapter 12 to the end of the book of Romans, Romans chapter 16, all of a sudden you're into practical theology. Yeah. Uh, and now it's not so much soteriology, how am I saved? It, it now becomes, um, well, how do I live? And so I, I think particularly with young people, mm -hmm. young adults, in actual fact, everyone um, <laughs> at that stage, a, a discipleship relationship, somebody who can interpret um, some of the imperatives, some of the commands of scripture mm -hmm. in ways that we can understand becomes very helpful. Yeah. So, and again, I think, well, there are a lot of benefits to reading the Bible, but I'll, I'll say this, like, I feel like the most the most joyful, um, most, um, I won't say people that, ha that don't have problems, but the, the happy people, <laughs> when, I say, when I say happy, I mean it in a good way, right? Yeah. Um, are people who are constantly reading their Bibles. And basically I'm talking about Christians here. So it's like there's joy that comes from God's word understanding it because because like for instance you you just read through it and like this obviously we've got the holy spirit um and he helps us understand the text and so even from that like there's there's just this well there's this unexplainable thing <laughs> i remember there was a time i was um i was at a at a store and like these these ladies said to me every time you come here you are happy <laughs> and i was like um well i didn't know what the answer was but then I, I said and i was like i think i think it has to do with the joy of the lord because i'm i'm just like my my character is um i'm very you would notice very quickly if i'm not well <laughs> yeah because because i'm i'm just bubbly i'm a bubbly person i'm always laughing always making jokes but once i am serious then there's definitely something bothering me. But for the most time, um, I'm just like this. And so I think it has to do with just immersing yourself in God's word because it, it brings like an unexplainable joy from within. Mm. Yeah. You know, uh, last night we were, we were covering eschatology yeah. um, in our Bible training for church leaders uh, and Bible study leaders. Uh, eschatology isn't the study of snails, right? <laughs> That's escargot. Um, fancy snails that you eat at French restaurants. Yeah. Ugh, can you imagine? Um, <laughs> es eschatology is the study of future things. And yeah. uh, we were looking at the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We were looking at his present work as intercessor for us in heaven, um, uh, in heaven at the mm -hmm. right hand of the Father, making intercessions for us. Um, but then we started to look at things like uh, the rapture. We looked at the millennial kingdom. Uh, I can see you smiling there. We looked at the millennial kingdom. We, we looked at um, topics such as the second coming of Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. uh, topics such as the eternal state. Mm -hmm. um, and as we gazed upon Jesus, I just got more and more excited, honestly. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, mm -hmm. there was a point that I was talking, I had goosebumps mm -hmm. and, and my whole heart was elevated with joy. Why? 
Because as we look at God's word and as we behold the person of Christ and as we recognize the turmoil of the world that we are in, just the mess of the world, I mean, it is just an incredible, messy place. But as we look at the person of Jesus, we are encouraged. Um, our hope is confirmed. Our, our, our joy in Christ is is moved from one degree to the next yeah. and, and confirmed and affirmed as the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God uh, in order to encourage us. I, I just want to bring in some, some listeners now. And guys, thank you so much for engaging. <laughs> the, 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 the conversation uh, is certainly um, happening and has certainly started. Uh, we have uh, Llewellyn Linden. Uh, who has a comment. Uh, Penny Straight says, good morning, Mark and Teppo. Uh, enjoying the beautiful rain. Thank you, Lord. I love that praise. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, we do uh, turn every blessing back to him in praise. Um, Bree asks for prayer. Um, and then uh, uh, Janine, another regular listener, says, we're enjoying and rejoicing and thanking the Lord for the wonderful rain since Wednesday in Whitbank. Okay, that's a whole lot of rain. Yeah. Um, but praise the Lord. Glad that it's raining in Whitbank. No, I'm, you guys need I'm it as well. I'm glad that it's going to be green when we head there soon. Yo, are you heading to Whitbank soon? Well, not Whitbank, but Emalashini. Emalashini. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so I think, well... I love Mpumalanga. Like oh, it's it's beautiful. Bro, we, yeah. li we live in such an amazing country. I yeah. mean, we truly do. It, yeah. it doesn't matter if you're down at the coast, uh, Cape Town, with that crazy mountain, which just declares the splendor of mm -hmm. God, or George in that area in those yeah. rainforests. Um, or, uh, yeah, Mpumalanga is one of my wife's favorite places in the world. Just those mm -hmm. the bush felt and, uh, yeah. Um, Mamzo says 100% uh, uh, Vainant uh, uh, made a comment regarding the hate speech bill. And then we hit our longtime listener and friends who sends in a WhatsApp in three parts. <laughs> Teresa, brother, um, <laughs> one question at a time. Oh. So he, he asks these three questions. And I don't know if he researches questions during the week to yeah. try <laughs> to try and trick us out. Um, but his questions always come with like an angle, a slant, a, a complexity to them. Um, but love engaging with you, Teresa. Uh, mm. Teresa says, when reading the Old Testament, how does one find passages that are prescriptive mm -hmm. as well as descriptive? Okay, mm. so prescriptive and descriptive. Let's just, let's just translate those two crazy words so that yeah. people that are listening in can understand them. A prescriptive text means that something is being prescribed, it's mm -hmm. being commanded, mm -hmm. uh, it is an imperative, it's something that we must do. Mm -hmm. A descriptive text is a descriptive text, it's, it's a description, it's a narration, it's a story, it's, it's describing something. Mm -hmm. Let me give you a couple of examples. Um, Abraham, um, the story of Abraham begins uh, with his father Terah at the end of Genesis chapter 11. Yeah. Um, and then Abraham's story proper begins in Genesis chapter 12 as God speaks to Abraham and calls him out of uh, Ur of the Chaldeans. And mm. then uh, later, after he's settled, um, uh, he then calls him toward the promised land. And our father of faith, of course, goes. He starts heading down, walking towards the promised mm -hmm. land. Well, that's a descriptive text. Nobody yeah. goes and reads Genesis chapter 12 and says, mm, it's time to humber. <laughs> I, I, I must begin the great trek of moving from Ghateng yeah. 
um, toward the promised land of, well, what is the promised land is probably Cape Town. <laughs> well, <laughs> okay, but th- th- that would be a spiritualization, yeah. an allegorization of the text. Now, nobody reads that text and says, okay, well, we now need to move to Israel. Uh, that would be a foolish interpretation mm. of God's word because that text is given to us descriptively. Now, this becomes even more important when sometimes we read the character and the conduct of some of the biblical heroes. Mm. <laughs> Those heroes are sometimes just wicked men. You know, yeah. they, they act in sinful ways. And yeah. because they act in sinful ways, we're not to perpetuate their sinfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, it's given to us to describe and give context to their lives so that we can see the true hero of the story, mm-hmm. who is, of course, God. Um, and, and even more particularly, aiming towards the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. That's descriptive texts. Let me give you an example of some prescriptive texts mm-hmm. in the Old Testament. Um, if we had to take, for instance, the Ten Commandments, um, uh, the Ten Commandments, the first four relating to man's relationship with God, um, that we should not take uh, false gods, we, not, we should not say the name of the Lord in vain, uh, we should not worship anyone but God himself, that we should observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. Uh, and then the next six, basically talking about our relationships man to man. Mm-hmm. Um, that we should not lie, we should not steal, we should not commit adultery, we should not murder, we should not covet, mm-hmm. we should honor our mother and our father. Mm-hmm. I got them all. <laughs> yeah, well. We should honor our mother and our father that we might live long in the land. Those are prescriptive texts. they commands, they mm-hmm. imperatives. These are things that the nation of Israel was called to do. Now, Teresa, the, complica- the complication, the, compli- the complexity comes mm-hmm. in when we read descriptive texts and then apply it into our lives as if they were prescriptive. Then we've, then we've like messed up. Yeah. But sometimes what we do is we find valid prescriptive texts in the Old Testament, and then we go about applying them into our lives as if the prescription was given to us mm-hmm. personally. Mm-hmm. And the Ten Commandments becomes a, a really good case in point. Mm. The Ten Commandments, the moral code, or, the, or should I rather say the summary of the moral code, because there are like 290-odd Um, commands that were given to Moses on Mount Sinai that he then records um, in the book of Exodus, uh, uh, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. Um, But that moral code summarized in the Ten Commandments was given to a particular people at a particular time for a particular Mm. reason. Now, that doesn't mean that it it has no application for us because we know that all Scripture is given that we might be built up uh, into the full man, equipped for every good work. Um, But as we look at the Ten Commandments, we discover that there's at least one commandment which isn't repeated to Christians in the New Testament. Mm. And that would be the fourth commandment, the command to obey the Sabbath. The Sabbath being a Saturday, uh, the day of worship for the Jews. Uh, The truth is that the Mosaic law uh, was given to the Jews as they obeyed it, they were blessed, and as they disobeyed it, uh, they would experience cursing. These prescriptions are given to the Israelites. And uh, next to the Ten Commandments, tons of prescriptions around what clothing they were supposed to wear, don't mix cotton with other clothing, (laughs) what kind of food they were supposed to eat, don't eat penguin, although I must be honest, don't eat penguin. (laughs) Don't eat penguin. Those are cute birds. Why would you eat penguin? Don't cook chicken with milk. Don't don't cook chicken with milk. (laughs) Although I must be honest, who cooks chicken with milk anyway? The point being, though, is that there were a number of laws that were prescribed to the nation of Israel 
um, that they might experience the blessing of God as they kept it by faith and experience the curse of God as they disobeyed uh, in unbelief. However, we've got to be very careful mm. of taking that which was prescribed to the nation of Israel and then just automatically saying it is prescribed to us today. And the reason why we must be careful for that is because in Christ, uh, we experience a degree of freedom. Um, freedom directly from the law, um, but freedom really to obey God in terms of our heart and our spirit. Mm. And so as we look at, for instance, the Ten Commandments, we do discover that nine of those commandments are repeated to believers in the New Testament. Nine of those commandments become really the law of Christ that we are to obey as faithful Christians who have put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. In fact, how do we know that we know him? We obey his commandments. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we obey the laws that Christ has given us. We obey uh, the commands, the imperatives the, that the apostles have written uh, in the epistles. But we're very careful as we come to the Old Testament mm. that we don't take something which was prescriptive, particularly for the nation of Israel, and automatically apply it to us as Gentile believers in this dispensation. Mm. Oh, well, there we go again. In this dispensation, um, too quickly, without understanding the context that the, that the particular law was given in um, and whether or not uh, the principle still applies to Christians and has been repeated, or the precept um, ascribed, uh, is ascribed to Christians and is repeated uh, in the New Testament. And then uh, his second question, I'll pass this one on to you. Now you've got to mm -hmm. think on the fly. Are you ready? Yes, yeah. <laughs> Tepo, mm -hmm. in Judges, I mm. think 20 or 21, it's a little bit vague, it speaks about how the women from Benjamin shouldn't be taken as wives, Otherwise, they will be cursed. Now, in Galatians 1, Paul speaks about being cursed if folks preach a different gospel. Should believers worry about being cursed? Okay, this is a good question in actual fact, although I can see you furrowing your brow, so I might have to repeat or clarify parts yeah. of it. It's a good question, and it is related to the first question. I think this is, a, I think this is, this is excellent. Let's work through this. Okay, say it again. Okay, so he might not have the address of the story, but mm -hmm. he says, hey, listen, you're in the Old Testament, uh, and he thinks it's Judges 20 or 21. It talks about the women of Benjamin shouldn't be taken as wives. Other mm -hmm. Otherwise, um, uh, they would be cursed. Now, you could take it to the midnight women that were uh, spoken about, I'm fairly certain that that was in the book of Nehemiah um, or in the book of um, Ezra. You mm -hmm. could take it, um, you know, just... just the, the God's word often talks about the marriage of foreign women and we might need to just talk about why yeah. um, in order to understand that context. Um, but it does talk about cursing, which is where Teresa's question really is. And then he like, jumps forward to Galatians chapter 1 and he says, hey, Paul speaks about cursing in, in, in Galatians chapter 1. If anybody takes another gospel, should believers now be worried about curses? Now, it's a loaded question. There's a lot going on here. And yeah. I think that there's some, I mean, yeah, we can, t we can talk about this from a couple of different angles. So firstly, I think um, when it comes to curses, especially as Christians, um, I remember uh, hearing a whole lot of people talking about generational curses. And obviously, they take that from the Old Testament, right? 
Um, but when it comes to curses, so we go back to the Old Testament and we see that cursed is a man who hangs on the tree. And fast forward to the New Testament, as a Christian, how that applies to us is that on Jesus, as he as his life was laid down on the tree, the curse was laid up on him. And so as Christians, like, I don't know the generational curse, where, where does it follow if you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who has taken upon himself the sin of those who would believe in him, which is, um, uh, what is this, a... A fulfillment of the Old Testament as well. So, when it comes to, I, I'm still not seeing the connection between the women and the other gospel. Sure. Yeah. So, but yeah. So, so look, uh, I, I think what he's saying is, hey, we discover that there's curses in the Old Testament. We discover yeah. that there's curses in the New Testament. Is this something that believers should be worried about? And um, let me say that the curses in the Old Testament, Teresa, are, are, and particularly around marrying foreign women, aren't, mm -hmm. aren't about uh, the mixing of race. It's more about the mixing of religion. Foreign women, very often in the nation of Israel, and I think yeah. particularly of Balaam, the false prophet, uh, who was told to curse the nation of Israel, but he couldn't curse them. Interestingly mm -hmm. enough, we're talking about curses here, and this is... Uh, uh, in the book of Genesis, um, I'm going to go, uh, sorry, uh, it's probably in Exodus, uh, where Balaam is cursing the nation of Israel. Um, but uh, he couldn't curse the nation of Israel, so instead of cursing them, he tells the enemies of God um, how he can tempt the nation of Israel away from the Lord their God, and then they will fall into curses anyway. Mm. Um, and he explains that what he should do is um, tempt them with, uh, foreign women, mm. they will then adopt the foreign gods yeah. of these foreign women mm -hmm. uh, and fall into sin and turn away from their Lord their God, which they in fact do. Um, and 29,000 people, um, 29,000 people are mm -hmm. uh, die as a result of their mm -hmm. apostasy. Well, now, uh, the New Testament example that you cited, Teresa, is exactly the same. It's about apostasy. It's saying, hey, listen, yeah, if you adopt a gospel other than the one that you've heard, and the gospel that you've heard, Teresa, mm -hmm. is this that Jesus died for your sins, that he rose from the grave, and that all men everywhere must repent from their sins, repent from their own self-works, and put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ that they might live. Well, if you turn to another gospel, maybe a Roman Catholic gospel of adopting both work and faith, um, or a Mormon gospel which believes in another Jesus, a Jesus who isn't God in human flesh, but a Jesus who is man, with some attributes of deity. If you put your faith and trust in a different Jesus or in a different gospel, uh, then, you, then you come under the curse that is, um, that is common to all men, that all men will die and thereafter face judgment, that the wages of sin is death, and that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I, I mean, it's a scary reality that Paul is speaking about in the book of Galatians. It's a scary reality that we see in mm. the Old Testament of people turning their backs on the worship of the one true God um, and following uh, other gods and as a result coming under ultimately the curse of God. Mm. And then Teresa says, asking for a friend, uh, please explain all nine of the nine marks of a healthy church and advise Ooh. what should happen if believers realize that the area they live in doesn't have a healthy church? That is a smashing question. It's going to be a long answer, and I do want to bring in some other 
uh, questions that have been asked from mm-hmm. some of the folk, um, and uh, a couple of these are now related to eschatology. And so <laughs> it's good that we have uh, Tepo online oh. with us today, because we're going to be able to give a couple of different views here. Um, <laughs> uh, Clinton says, thank you for the assistance. He really appreciates it. Nico makes a comment regarding hate speech. And then Janice says, what is the next event in biblical prophecy? Um, and Janice is in Cartonville. Janice, that is just a wonderful question. Um, I'm looking forward to answering it. But before mm-hmm. I answer it, I'm looking forward to hearing what uh, the Honorable Tepo Pitzel <laughs> says about that question. Brother, what is the next event in unfulfilled biblical prophecy? And shoot. So I think, <laughs> so I had a view, right? Many, many, well, not many years ago. Like a few years ago, I had a view. And then I was like, you know what? <laughs> I need to restudy all of this because it's just not making sense anymore. Um, so I think for, based on, based on what I think and based on what I am in my eschatological, uh, what is this? Um, conviction. Mm. <laughs> um, I think we are waiting for so so here's the thing it's difficult because because i come from i come from a a what you call a pre-trib um right so 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 now (laughs) so so now it becomes difficult to actually put the the what is this the um, events hey you're allowed to say i'm figuring this out that's a valid definitely definitely so you're allowed to say i'll get back to you next week I know. No one's going to shoot you if you I know. do that. But I'll tell you what I'm <laughs> waiting for. Yeah. I'm waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's basically what I'm waiting for. But whether that's going to come. <laughs> hmm. So so I look at I look at First Thessalonians chapter 4, which you touched on yesterday. Yes. Um, I look at that and I'm like, mm, okay, so this here is going to happen. But is that linked to what, because uh, obviously my previous conviction was that obviously god um christ is going to take those who are in him and he's going to raise the dead who are well those who are asleep in him mm. right and there revelation kicks in is that the start of the tribulation so god takes his people out of the or, or from the earth for when the tribulation starts and then three and a half years <laughs> Then it gets really hectic. So, 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 so I'm still, I'm still figuring that out. Um, how that's gonna happen? Um, I'm not sure, but I, I'm just waiting for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. But yeah, <laughs> oh, brother, I think you asked more questions than you gave answers there. <laughs> it's, it's because <laughs> it's, okay. it's because I'm like um, I studied this, but I'm I'm just not sure yet. I I just need to you know, devote think, time to it. I do think that that is a valid answer. Mm-hmm. Hey man, I'm trying to figure this out. Uh, I'm looking at uh, unfulfilled prophecy and I'm putting it together. And I don't want to make a definitive statement on mm-hmm. this, on this. And the reason why I think that that is a legitimate answer is because unlike matters of of first importance, Mm -hmm. uh, such as salvation, the church, Christ, God, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, um, Mm -hmm. the inerrancy and sufficiency of scripture. I I think eschatology, all of us look into the future Mm -hmm. um, and there is an element of mist and there is an element of surprise. Um, And so we must be careful to just caveat what Mm -hmm. we say regarding that. 
However, I do think that one can take a position on these matters. I certainly mm-hmm. have taken a position <laughs> on these matters, and mm. I am about to <laughs> give my position. So, Janice, I'm what is called a dispensational preacher, premillennialist, which is just crazy words that mean I believe that the next event in unfulfilled prophecy is that Jesus Christ is going to come and rapture his church. The rapture of the church will be followed by a seven-year period of tribulation, the last three and a half years, uh, called the Great Tribulation. And after the Great Tribulation, Jesus Christ is going to come again as king. He will be seated on the throne of David. Um, He will set up a kingdom which will last a thousand years. At the end of that thousand years, he will judge the living and the dead, um, particularly the dead according to the end of the book of Revelation. Um, And there will be a great white throne judgment. And after that, there will be Mm -hmm. an establishment of an eternal state, a new heavens and a new earth. And we will worship God forever and ever and ever. And so the short answer to your question, I kind of gave you (laughs) how I see things rolling out according to the book of Revelation, according to the book of Daniel, according to the end of Matthew, and according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. That's how I see things rolling out. But, But to answer your question in short, the next event in unfulfilled prophecy is the rapture of the church and it is a signless event in other words uh, it is not preceded by signs that we god's people can even discern although it is very clear that the times are ripe for the return of the lord jesus christ um, it is a signless event there will not be earthquakes plagues um, or wars or rumors of wars or even sightings of jesus christ which come before the, the imminent return of Christ. And this could happen at any stage. It is imminent. <laughs> you know, we, uh, we expect Jesus Christ to come. <laughs> Last night as I was teaching on this, I said, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. We have a mm-hmm. great expectation that Jesus will come soon. Um, certainly sooner than Paul's expectation, which was 2,000 years ago, that the return of Jesus Christ was imminent. Mm. Um, My expectation is maybe in some ways even more imminent, (laughs) that Jesus Christ is soon to return. Let me read you a passage of Scripture and then give you one point of application regarding the subject that we have just spoken about. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, we read, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, Uh, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. So it's talking about an emotional response to those who have died and saying we need to mourn in different ways for those who died in Christ than the way that the world mourns for their dead who were not in Christ. For if we believe that Jesus has died and rose again, in the same way, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. In other words, there will come a time, and by the way, there's a point of singularity where never mind what your view is, whether it's partial preterism, whether it is amillennialism, or whether it is a pre-tripremill view of the end times. There is a point of singularity where we all come together (laughs) and see the second coming of Jesus Christ, the judgment of the dead, and the establishment of the eternal state. Uh, However, um, Paul goes on to say in verse 15, we say this to you by a word from the Lord. In other words, this wasn't revealed previously, particularly to the Thessalonians, with clarity in a way that they could understand. Uh, This is revelation which Paul is now giving to them, and it comes from the Lord. It comes from Jesus Christ. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. 
for the Lord himself will descend from the heaven with a shout, <laughs> with the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God. <laughs> you ever hear a very loud trumpet and then all of a sudden people have disappeared? <laughs> you know it's happened. <laughs> be afraid, be very afraid. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together. And that idea of being caught up together, particularly in the Latin, is where we get the English word rapture from. With them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Um, this would be a text that um, uh, uh, pre-tribulation -trib, pre folk who believe that the church will be raptured before the tribulation appeal to as they make that appeal. They would also, of course, appeal to the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, in the first three chapters, you have church, 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 church. Mm. I think it's repeated like 21 times. Ecclesia uh, in those first three chapters. And then you want to know what? <laughs> the church disappears through the whole of the book of Revelation, which describes the tribulation and describes the great tribulation, only to return at the end of the book as Jerusalem descends from the heavens. But here's the point. Whether you take the view I take on this passage or whether you take another view, this is the application of the text. Mm. Encourage one another with these words. And so what I want to say is this. I, I've spent the last couple of days reading. I, I get a lot of WhatsApp um, uh, videos of folk who are clearly very worried that um, that these things are about to roll out. And they are picking dates, the 1st of October, Ooh. that was today. <laughs> the 24th of October, there's a couple of other dates in between. Uh, dates abound as to when these events are gonna transpire and when the tribulation will begin. And there is a fear-mongering amongst the WhatsApps that I've been read. If your view of eschatology, if your view of future things causes you to fear, causes you to tremble, causes you uncertainty, you have misunderstood the intention of the teachings that Jesus Christ is going to come again. These things are given so that you might be encouraged, um, so that you might be encouraged that those who have fallen asleep will be raised up and, and will mm. be swept up together with you when Jesus comes. Uh, our view of future things, our view of the end time should cause us to rejoice. <laughs> it mm. should cause us to look forward with great excitement to that rider on a white horse who comes with his robe dipped in blood and on the hilt of his sword or on his thigh, the words King of Kings and Lord of Lords, a name which only he knows. It should cause you to rejoice that our Savior, our Redeemer, our friend, <laughs> there you go, our friend is coming <laughs> to take us home, um, to take us to paradise, that we might see Jesus Christ face to face. Our view of the end times should not cause us to fear. Our view of the end times should cause us to rejoice. And anything which causes the opposite is a befuddlement <laughs> of theology and is to at least be treated with a degree of concern. Mm. Um, Yo, now eschatology is pouring in. <laughs> Teresa, haven't forgotten about your question. Brother, I know that you listened to the show. Um, we will deal with it after we chat about uh, uh, Mandy's questions. Mandy says, morning brothers in Christ. What about the airplanes in the air with reborn pilots? Mandy, you have watched Left Behind. <laughs> and you have seen those airplanes dipping and going down as pilots are raptured um, and the problems. 
You know, Mandy, I must be honest. Um, we are now dealing with an area that the Bible gives us some idea so that we can talk to what the Bible says. Mm. Um, but I don't know if it's worth talking about what the Bible doesn't say. Um, one of my close friends is a pilot. Um, he is in the sky every day. Um, when the rapture happens, he will meet the Lord Jesus in the clouds. And I'm guessing he's going to be a little bit closer to the Lord Jesus than me because I'll be on land and he'll be 40,000 <laughs> feet in the air. Um, I don't I don't know if he'll get to Jesus quicker than me. I, I suspect he might be standing <laughs> closer to Jesus mm. than me as we worship him for all eternity. Um, but what will happen to his plane? Uh, you know, Mandy, I think that's the stuff of Hollywood movies. Um, and then, you know, just wonderment uh, for the rest of us. Um, uh, but Hollywood movies would tell you that those planes, what goes up must come down. <laughs> uh, Mandy also says, are we as reborn believers going to be part of the great tribulation? So Mandy, th there's different views on this. There are what are called pre-tribulationists and there are what are called post-tribulationists and there are what are called mid-tribulationists, people that believe that the church is raptured before the tribulation, people that believe that the church experiences the tribulation mm. um, and godly believers. Uh, hold to all of these views. So, for instance, R.C. Sproul would have been, uh, as a Presbyterian, would have been a covenantalist uh, who believed in an amillennial uh, view of future things. And so these things we're working out right now as we speak. In actual fact, uh, the previous host of the show, Tyrell Hogg, who I'm really good friends with, uh, and R.C. Sproul, I have a really high regard for. Um, but Tyrell Hogg, who I'm really good friends with, uh, we tease each other all the time about our different eschatological views. He certainly believes that we're experiencing the millennium now um, and the things in Revelation are either working themselves out over a period of time um, and, and would point to various different things. Uh, for myself, I believe rapture happens first, then the tribulation. So believers aren't around uh, or believers who are presently believers aren't around during the tribulation period. However, mm -hmm. the word of God is powerful to save. And so we see people saved during the tribulation. And we see people martyred during the tribulation for their faith. Um, and so uh, there certainly are reborn believers in that tribulation period. Thank you so much for that question, Mandy. You know, as I'm looking at um, a number... <laughs> <laughs> a number of questions and comments uh, on Facebook. Uh, we have um, Christy who says, thank you, Lord, you're in control. Amen, Christy. God is in sovereign control of all things, even when the government makes crazy decisions, even when legislation doesn't go our way. In truth, God is in sovereign control of all things. Susan says, amen. Dorothy says, hallelujah, 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 amen. Kachelo, um, a really good friend of both uh, uh, Tsepo and us, is a bit off topic, but love the shirt, Mark Penner. <laughs> I'm rocking the shirt, aren't I? <laughs> this is the most colorful shirt in my, in my wardrobe. Um, I got it from a market in Zambia. A friend of mine, Francis uh, Kayunda, um, took me to a, a informal market in Zambia. I mean, yeah, the the cost of clothing is nothing there. Mm. Um, and I picked up a, a really nice fitting colorful shirt um, in Zambia when I was visiting Kabatwa Baptist Church and a friend, Conrad Mbewe, I was staying with him for a while and visiting Lusaka Baptist Church and Ronald Kalifungwe um, as well as um, 
is it Emmanuel Baptist Church, Emmersdale, Emmersdale Baptist Church, and spending some time with a number of the Solo Five churches up in Zambia. Really, really enjoyed it. Kachelo uh, clarifies what she says by saying, yes, you are rocking it. <laughs> you need more, brother. Well, you know what? Last week, Kachelo, I was actually wearing the shirt, uh, African print shirt, really awesome one, that you, that you and your husband uh, gifted me. Uh, a few months ago and love that shit. It is my favorite shit. Um, this one has great sentimental value and I love to dig it out um, when, uh, um, when it's raining and uh, when the sun shines and when spring <laughs> is around. <laughs> Penny Straight says, hi Mark and Seppel regarding, ah, have I just gone over to Riesel's third question? I have, but we're gonna hit Penny's, Penny's question. And the reason why is because Penny is a long time listener. You know, if uh, Impo is on the ball at studio at home base right now, he would play the applause sound uh, mm. in order to celebrate Penny. Um, but Penny says, regarding the unfulfilled prophecies, all prophecy relates to Israel. Just watch what is happening in the Middle East. This is, a, this is an excellent observation, Penny, and one that uh, myself and Teppo are about to take up. Um, <laughs> I, I can see Teppo is furiously typing on his PC no. looking for answers online to questions. I'm just kidding, brother. Um, and then she quotes Ezekiel 37 and 38 and Daniel 8 as mm -hmm. um, unfulfilled prophecies. Um, Penny, if I understand your question correctly or if I reinterpret your question, you, you're welcome to send through a clarification after this. And then after this, we're going to hit the nine marks of a healthy church. But, but Penny, um, there are promises uh, that are made in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament that are made directly to a people group, and that people mm. group is Israel. Um, the Israelites, and it's true to say that not all, not all who are of Abraham are Israel, but the Israelites are a known people group. Um, uh, we know them, we can identify them. Uh, we talk about the 12 tribes that came from Judah. Uh, we talk about the Israelites that were taken into captivity in Assyria. We talk about those who were taken into bondage in, in, uh, in Babylon and then returned to the promised land and built Hezekiah's temple. Um, the bottom line is the Israelites are are known, um, are known people. God makes promises to the nation of Israel that as a person who comes to God's word and expects it to mean what it says, and as a person who reads prophecy that has been fulfilled and sees it fulfilled in a literal way, when I read unfulfilled prophecy, I just expect God to fulfill it in a literal mm. way for God's promises to be yes and amen. And so um, I, I have an expectation that promises regarding land, promises regarding temple, promises regarding political security, promises regarding the nations of the world um, um, coming to Zion and Jerusalem to worship God, promises regarding um, the Messiah coming and establishing the throne of David uh, in Jerusalem. Um, I expect those promises to be full, fulfilled literally. Um, whether it be of the second coming of Jesus Christ for every one prophecy made of his first advent, there are eight prophecies made of his second advent, or whether they be prophecies related to the nation of Israel, I expect them to be literally fulfilled. That is the position I take. Tepo Pitzel, I am so interested to hear how you approach unfulfilled prophecy. So I think for me... Um well, I try to be as literal as possible <laughs> to cool. to to God's word. Um, if it's 
if if it states where it's going to happen i mean there's no other reason to think otherwise um yeah so i think for me i will i will well i try to stick as close to the bible as possible and hence i've moved away <laughs> from my eschatological view <laughs> you know brother yeah. I, I do yeah. like it about you yeah. i mean as we come to texts we are grappling with it we are trying to find the authorial intent yeah. and the literal application of text i recognize that on on some texts we differ in terms mm-hmm. of what this looks like and what this means uh, but the truth is we we are grappling mm-hmm. in the same direction um toward the glorification of Jesus yeah. Christ, um, and uh, and and uh, yeah, uh, would you call yourself a new covenantalist in the kind of John Piper fashion? <laughs> I mean, is, uh, would you give yourself a tag or? I'm not there yet. So okay. so so like for instance, I because my 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 eschatological view has been framed, well, the way yours is framed. Yes. Um, I'll tell you what what threw me off. It's sure, basically sure. one chapter. Yeah. It's Second Thessalonians chapter two. Mm. Um, so basically, there were there was idleness happening, and then Paul reminded them, saying, "Why, why, why are you guys not working? Who said that the day of the Lord has come?" Yeah. And then, um, so he says, "Do you not remember what I told you when I was with you? Yeah. Um, that the day of." Uh, the Lord has not come unless you see this lawlessness mm. and you see the man of lawlessness mm. sitting in the place making himself to be Christ mm. and so that was like wait a minute <laughs> let me let me step back let me let me look at all of this and I, I well obviously that's also let unfulfilled. me think about a bit of history <laughs> yeah there's also unfulfilled prophecy yeah um, so so I think for me it's basically that it's like I look at the text and I'm like yo I mean, you build eschatology on so many levels and just one thing throws you off. You're like, I don't know where I stand currently. Mm-hmm. So, so I wouldn't say I'm where Piper is. I'm not sure where I am. Okay. And I mean, look, <laughs> yeah. when, we, when we talk about eschatology, there are so many factors. We, yeah. we are. We're looking at the, at the overthrow of Jerusalem and trying to figure out, well, which texts actually relate to this mm-hmm. in terms of being finding fulfillment, mm-hmm. which texts are, find partial fulfillment yeah. uh, in AD 70, which texts then you expect to find um, complete 24. fulfillment later. Yeah. I, I mean, we are not talking about easy ground. Yeah. Um, Christy uh, joins the conversation and says that she loves my shirt, <laughs> another vote of confidence, um, and believes that we will be with Jesus before the tribulation. Hey, can we take a step back and yeah. go to Teresa's question, which is yes. off eschatology, and maybe yeah. that's useful because we, yeah. we don't want to get too bogged down um, on things where we um, are still trying to figure out um, all of these matters. Um, but his third question was this, and he's asking for a friend, which is code for Teresa wants to know. Um, <laughs> please explain all of the nine marks of a healthy church. And Quickly. So, uh, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like, I'm gonna pass the ball to you. Maybe you do two marks, you know, yeah. maybe one paragraph on each of those marks, and I'll do two marks. Let's work through them. Um, okay. And so, uh, l- 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 let's I begin think... with that, with that, and then we'll go on to the second part of the question. Wow, I just. Got a bit of a shock, <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> so the first one is expositional preaching, right? Yes. So expositional preaching means you expose the text of God's word. Yeah. Carry on. Yeah. 
Um, you expose the text of God's word. That means you're explaining it as it is from God's word. Um, so basically what you're doing is you are not bringing in um, thoughts that that come from outside of the text because that we would call um, extra biblical teaching. So we want to expose the text as it was written, um, as the recipients received it. That's basically what we want to teach. And obviously, we wouldn't teach that without application. So you need to do the groundwork first. You preach the word as it is in its original context. And then what happens is you'll move through time um, after having taken account of all the um, cultural uh, and traditional um, uh, things that played a role then. You move to us now and see how that would um, work or how that would apply in our lives uh, today. So basically, that is um, expositional preaching. Um, and then biblical theology. So biblical theology is, is, is huge because, because as you read Genesis to Revelation, there is a, um, what we call a... Um, what, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Um, <laughs> a biblical a, a worldview. So, so yes, that's basically what I'm what, what I'm thinking about. A biblical worldview. So the Bible um, determines how you view the world, and basically, biblical theology is these huge um, um, or major themes in the Bible that then um, tell us where we should be going or how we should be thinking along the... Let, let me just mention a few, a few topics off the top of my head. Uh, what does the Bible say about abortion, right? So you need to have a biblical um, theology on that. What does the... Basically, abortion would then come from... Um, conception <laughs> what does god say about conception and then that would direct how we think about a human being um in the womb when is the human being a human being in the womb and so that then would then tell us is it murder or is it not is it a fetus or is it a person so that's basically um just on the facet of um uh, what is this conception and human beings and when a human being starts existing as a human being <laughs> so I, I'm just laughing because yeah. uh, um, obviously there was a bit of confusion there as one yeah. of our cameras went down folk we're gonna need to take a song break at uh, the stage when we get back from uh, the song break we will continue with the questions and answers uh, for the last half an hour of the show. At this stage, we are going to our break. Good to be with you. I really do enjoy our Fridays together as we talk about all manner of topics. Um, if you would like to ask a question regarding the Bible, we still probably have opportunity for one or two more questions. Uh, you can send in a question to WhatsApp or to Telegram. The telephone number is 0826572729. If you are a Twitter tweet, uh, you can use the handle at 657AM. And uh, looking forward today to an amazing uh, listener calling into our landline 012 334 1322. 
012-334-1322. Looking forward to chatting to you um, shortly. Uh, the song that we just listened to was Ak Cake Opnadibacha by Nadine Blom. Thank you so much, Nadine, for that song. And uh, yeah, let's get back to the conversation. So, yeah. Tepo, you have been talking to us um, for the last while about the marks of a healthy church. We began by talking about expository preaching, making the main point of a passage of scripture, the main point of a sermon, mm -hmm. and then applying it. We then went and spoke about biblical theology, basically mm -hmm. looking where a passage sits in the whole framework of God's word yeah. um, as we find understanding for it. Um, in terms of the third and the fourth mark of the healthy church, we talk about the gospel. What is the gospel? And quite simply, it's that Christ died as a substitute for our sins, that he rose from the grave in victory over death and in victory over sin and became the first fruits of our salvation. And that all men everywhere are called upon to repent for the forgiveness of sins. That means turn away from their love for sin and turn to the person of Jesus Christ and put your faith and your trust in him. The fourth mark of a healthy church is conversion. And conversion talks about the fact that salvation looks like something, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, a good tree is known by its fruit. fruit. <laughs> and a bad tree is known by its fruit too. Yep. Uh, you know, a good tree can't produce bad fruit. A bad tree can't produce good fruit. Um, and so salvation looks like something. We talk about um, the, the story of the sower going out and some seeds being scattered on the path, some being scattered on rocky ground, some being scattered amongst thorns and thistles, and some being scattered on good ground where it grew 30, 60, and 100 fold. And mm -hmm. in truth, uh, what that story is telling us is that salvation <coughs> looks like something. The seed on the path was whipped away by the... Um, um, by the uh, by the birds, and the birds represent Satan. The, the, the seed on the rocky ground represents um, persecution as it's scorched away by the sun. The, the, the thieves, the seed amongst the thorns and the thistles, represent um, a person who just has so many cares and love for this world. But the seed which ha lands in a heart which has been prepared by God grows 30, 60, and 100 fold because mm -hmm. salvation looks like something and mm -hmm. so the marks of a healthy church are at first biblical preaching secondly um biblical theology and then the gospel front and center clear mm -hmm. christ died christ rose repent for the forgiveness of sins and then conversion a, a healthy discussion on conversion maybe you can talk to us about evangelism and church membership yeah so evangelism is basically sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, and that's the message that we take out to the world, um, just telling them about that uh, uh, the need for a savior in every human being, um, and that that need was fulfilled in the person of in the person and work of our Lord Christ. So basically, that's the good news, and that's the message we take out to the people. And that's called evangelism and uh, church membership <laughs> so I, I just remembered Sunday so basically church membership is people um, or Christians covenanting to a local church so basically coming to the local church and saying we want to be a family with you yes there's a church universal but um, there is also a local church, which is, which is the church manifest, um, the gathering of the saints in a particular location. 
that there is where a a a, a church membership can be well uh, a, a person can apply for membership and basically what we look for in that is we need to make sure that the person is saved we need to make sure that the person understands the gospel um, and that the person is is not living in a sinful rebellion um, to the Lord Jesus Christ and that's a formal um, application which we make sure that the person is in right standing with the Lord because why that's important again is also it's it's very important that people are members of local churches because there would be no um, authority from the pastor or the elder um, if a person is just a visitor they, they, they cannot be taken care of um, and so it's important that people come into membership for their own soul's sake and also because it it, it pleases the lord for them to be accountable to a local body mm. So let me take the last three, and they are related, I guess, in many ways to this base mark of a healthy church, church membership, vibrant, real church membership. And so we talk about church discipline, church discipline being both formative and corrective. Formative church discipline, we, we, we discipline one another, we train mm-hmm. one another, we move one another toward the person of Jesus Christ. Each and every day as we spend time together, we're constantly um, desiring one another to be pushed forward uh, in the image of Christ. Mm. But corrective church discipline would be what happens when a person falls into unrepentant sin. Mm. Um, what is the process? And the process is detailed by Jesus Christ himself, um, that we are to go to a brother and call him away from his sin. If we win him over, praise the Lord. If we don't, well then two or three are to go to that person so that everything can be established in the mouths of two or three witnesses. And we to call the person away from their sin, always looking for repentance. So if yes. they still refuse to listen to two or three, we're, we're literally to take it to the whole church. We, we to take to the church that a person refuses to repent of sin and is therefore bringing the name of Christ into disrepute and the name of the local church, which mm. they profess membership in. Uh, and then the last step of church membership is if a person refuses to listen even to the church, um, we are to treat them as an unbeliever, as a Gentile. Um, and that would, reme- that would mean revoking our affirmation uh, of their salvation, uh, their church membership. Um, and, and again, though, our intention throughout all of this is to see a person restored to the faith and restored to right relationship with God. Uh, we talk about discipleship. I mean, you can't be exercising church discipline if you're not discipling people True. in the church. Yeah. Discipleship is so important that we are growing, um, not just as individuals reading our Bibles in a bunker somewhere in, uh, in Da'ar. I don't know why I <laughs> use Da'ar as an example. But, but the, the truth is, um, friends, we're to be discipled. This Christian life is a relational life, just like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit relate to one another in perfect harmony so jesus in john chapter 17 prayed mm-hmm. that we god's people would would be known by our love for one another and by unity with one another and um, the christian life is a relational life and we call that relationship with one another discipleship mm-hmm. as we call on one another one one another to imitate me as i imitate christ and as we walk together this christian journey mm-hmm. and then the last mark of a healthy church is church leadership we do not have 
a man of God who sits at the, at the <laughs> top of the church and rules the roost. We do not have a pope sitting in Rome. Yeah. Uh, we do not have Lone Ranger Christians that lead churches and fleece the, the sheep um, uh, who steal from the sheep and who devour the sheep. Oh. No, we have a plurality of leaders, uh, a plurality, we would call them in our church elders, a plurality of men who are equipped and who are recognized and who then lead God's people uh, to God's own praise and glory. That also, would be biblically truth. qualified Biblically men. qualified. I mean, that is, yeah. y- you're right, Tipo, that is so important. Biblically mm-hmm. qualified men, according to 1 Timothy chapter 3, as well as Titus mm-hmm. uh, chapter 1, leading the flock of God. Now, you take all of those nine marks and you put them together, and what you have over time, invariably, mm-hmm. is a flourishing, healthy church, um, which is growing and vibrant and, uh, and worshiping and celebrating Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. um, and whose members are being made fit for heaven's glories to come. But Teresa's question isn't just what are the nine marks and how do you define the nine marks, his question very specifically is, what should I do if believers realize that the area they live in doesn't have a healthy church? Mm. You live in the sticks and there is no healthy church there. Mm. Teresa, um, you know, this actually isn't the biblical exception. This is the biblical norm. Paul would often go into cities where there were no healthy churches and believers would often find themselves in locations where there was no church. What did those believers do? Well, they worshiped God with whatever they had. Mm. Um, They worshiped God wherever they were, and they worshiped God to whatever means they could. They used whatever means of grace were available to them Mm. to worship God, to, to glorify Him and to lift Him up. But over time, because of their evangelistic zeal, because of their understanding of the gospel, because of their understanding of conversion, because of their desire for evangelism, uh, what you would find is people would be added to their number. Um, Mm. Maybe it was one person, and then three people, and then six people, and then ten people. Um, And when you start to get to a number of around ten, what you have is not a Bible study on a Sunday, what you have is a church on a Sunday doesn't matter how small, it doesn't matter how frail you feel or how few in number you feel, a church is when God's people meet, when the, um, when the uh, ordinances are on display of uh, the Lord's Supper and believers' baptism, when the gospel is being proclaimed faithfully from the pulpit, these, are the, these ultimately are the marks of the church. And so churches at that stage should constitute. I think at Crystal Park, I mean, when I arrived at Crystal Park on the first Sunday, there were five people. Um, and those five people didn't sit around in a circle and, uh, and share mm. stories. No, those five people sat and we listened to the preaching of God's word. The first Sunday that I arrived here, um, I preached from uh, the book of 2 John and I preached verse 1. And the second Sunday, I think I preached from verse 2 to verse 4. And so we carried on and the church grew. It went from five people to 10 people Mm. to 15 people over time, then 20. And I mean, I'm going to just carry on until we hit like about 200 or so. Mm. The bottom line is, uh, Crystal Park Baptist Church didn't start off being a healthy church. It started off being a fairly unhealthy church mm. um, with just a handful of people. And Teresa, that's the way that Jesus has always built his church. The great thing is we have a promise. Jesus says, I will build my church and against it the gates of Hades will not prevail. Mm-hmm. And so we can take ground, ground even that the enemy thinks he owns because our cap 
captain, our Lord, our Savior, yeah. um, has told us that his banner will, be, will move forward, his kingdom will be established in the hearts and the minds of men, the gospel is powerful, <laughs> and the church will be victorious, because our Savior is victorious, our yeah. King. Um, let's listen to, uh, I, I do see we have a voice note that I have no doubt uh, Mpo is uh, listening to, and um, back at home base. Um, but Llewellyn uh, says, regarding 4SA.co.za, if two or more get together in my name, there I am. So we hand it all over to Jesus Christ. Um, and just, uh, I guess, the call to pray, to pray for the state of our nation, uh, to pray for our rulers, to mm. pray that they might govern in, um, in righteousness um, and that they might be established in wisdom and that God might be glorified in and through them. I think it's a great call. Uh, Llewellyn, thank you so much for sending that in. Bree says, hi, good morning. I just want to ask, uh, if you're in an abusive marriage and it does not stop, um, uh, what can I do? Uh, my pastor was also here already and he doesn't want to stop. Um, uh, and it talks about um, a number of other things. Uh, yeah. So uh, it's an anonymous question, and I, I think I, I will reply directly uh, to the person involved um, mm -hmm. rather than uh, talk about it uh, online uh, mm -hmm. right now. Um, even as we come to the end of today's show, I see it's a quarter of an hour to go, um, I, I, I do recognize that there are a number of questions that we're not going to be able to get through this morning, and I am sorry about that, folk. Um, the truth is that uh, uh, there's always more questions than we have time to answer in just two hours on a Friday. Um, but I do want to leave us with, uh, with some encouragement um, and some joy. Uh, Jesus Christ is coming again. That seems to be the theme of many of the questions that came in today. Jesus Christ is coming again. And the question that I have for you is, will you be ready on that day? Will you be ready on that day? Will you be ready to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think of many scriptures which talk about this need to be prepared, this need to have the oil in our lamp and our wicks trimmed uh, and be ready for the return of the King. How can you be ready, you ask? Well, you can do the following. Um, firstly, you need to be in Christ because when he comes, he will not come as the babe in Bethlehem wrapped in swaddling clothes and in a manger, um, mm. meek and mild. Jesus Christ will come as King of kings and Lord of lords. He will come with a sword to judge the living and the dead and he will stamp out the furious wrath of God like grapes in a wine press. Um, the truth is it will be a day of of. Uh, immense fear, uh, a day of gnashing of teeth and of immense regret as many people recognize that they invested their time, their effort, their energy and their love in the wrong places. How can you be ready for that day? And the answer is this, by putting your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Mm. Man has a problem and it's and it's not the kinds of problems that we often think to. Money problems, um, uh, social problems, family problems, whatever it might be. The ultimate problem of man is a sin problem. Um, and we have a God problem. Um, because of our sin, we have separated ourselves from um, the love of God. We've separated ourselves 
um, from the mercy and the grace of God by nature. And yet mm. God is love. He's completely love. He, God is gracious. He's completely gracious. And God is merciful. He's completely merciful. And so he extends these attributes to sinners even like us. And he does it in a very particular way. There are not many ways to be saved. There is only one way to be saved. And it's a person, Jesus Christ, who is Lord and Savior. Jesus came into this world, was born as a babe in Bethlehem, and then lived a perfect life, a life without any sin whatsoever. And then he, who knew no sin, became sin on the cross as he died for our sins, absorbing the wrath of God, which was leveled uh, against the sin of man. He died as a substitute in our place, so that if we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, not in our own works, not in our own goodness or in anything in and of ourselves, but if we put our faith and our trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we might be saved. We might be saved from the penalty of our sin, which will be experienced by those who are not in Christ on Judgment Day. And we might be saved from the power of sin and presently in our lives. What do I mean by that? Well, a Christian life looks like something. It's not just a free ticket into heaven. Uh, it's not just pie in the sky when we die. It's steak on our plate while we wait. Uh, it's filled with blessings such as the mercy and the grace and the love of God abounding in our lives in ever greater measure. But it's also the power of sin has been broken by Jesus Christ on the cross. And so now we can live our lives to God's praise and to his glory. Uh, we can be transformed from one degree of glory into the next. We can live lives which are pleasing to God. Mm. And indeed, that's what Jesus Christ demands from those who have been transformed from uh, darkness and brought into light. Those who have been bought out of the slave market of sin become slaves to Jesus Christ. He becomes our master and our Lord. And we begin to live our lives to his praise and glory. Now, this is not something that we can do in our own strength. In fact, we'd be foolish to try. The truth is we didn't save ourselves. How on earth would we sanctify ourselves? How would we grow uh, in this faith by our own self-effort? No, we need to rely on the Holy Spirit of God who is given as a deposit, as a down payment um, at the point of salvation uh, for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is given to us and is the present witness that we are saved, giving us assurance, helping us to cry out, Abba, Father, to our Father who is in heaven. And it's the Holy Spirit who produces in us the fruit of the Spirit, such as love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. Yeah. It's those fruit growing in ever greater measure that gives us assurance of salvation, the joy of the Lord. Um, bubbling up in us and spilling out into our relationships and into our relationships with him and our relationships with others. We are called upon um, to ready ourselves for the soon coming of the Lord Jesus Christ by putting our faith and our trust in Jesus and then walking with Jesus day by day, walking with our Savior who bled that we might, that we might live, walking with our friend um, who is with us through all of life's trials and tribulations, walking with our shepherd, who by his crook um, can even walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death. This is a great encouragement. It really is that Jesus Christ promises at the end of his great commission, not just 
commanding us to go into a world and to baptize and to teach, but promising that he will be with us even to the end of the age. Our Savior is with us. Our shepherd is near us. He is with us to comfort us and to guard us and to guide us from all the fiery darts of the devil that we might face. Friends, this is a great encouragement. And then the encouragement is made even greater still as we are told to ready ourselves for the soon coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. When our King comes, He will establish a kingdom and we will reign and rule with Him forever and ever. What a joy um, to think of Jesus Christ, seeing Him face to face, being able to worship Him and glorify the Lamb that was slain that takes away the sins of the world. My, my mind is always, when I think of Jesus, cast to the book of Revelation. And I think of Revelation chapter 5, uh, and I think of, of the, the words of worship and the songs of praise, such as him being worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because mm. he was slaughtered and purchased the people for God by his blood from every tribe and language and people and nation, and that he makes them a kingdom of priests and that they will reign on the earth. And then those declarations of praise. Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and blessing and honor and glory and power. Be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. We will join that chorus of praise, friends, forever and ever when our Lord Jesus Christ comes soon. Mm. What a wonder. What a, what a magnificent vision of the future uh, awaits us. And the time is near. Uh, I, I turn to Revelation chapter 20 uh, and think of, of the words of Jesus Christ, even in verse 7. Look, I am coming soon, and blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Uh, he says, don't seal up the words of the prophecy. Uh, let the filthy still be filthy, and let the righteous go on in righteousness. Let the holy still be holy. Jesus says, look, I am coming soon and my reward is with me to repay each person according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And blessed are those who wash their robes so that they might have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to attest these things to you for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. And then John says, he who testifies about these things says, yes, I'm coming soon. And John writes, amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. The grace of the Lord be with everyone. Amen. The book is closed. Friends, we have a glorious future awaiting us because we have a glorious king, a Lord of lords and king of kings, a God who we faithfully serve. And so we make ourselves ready as we prepare ourselves, our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our lives. We prepare every aspect of our lives, our testimonies, our our talents, our treasures. Um, we prepare every part of our life for the return of Jesus Christ, that our lives might be offered to him as sweet smelling, as sweet smelling sacrifices, mm. holy and acceptable 
to him uh, in the age to come. It is a glorious thought and a wonderful way <laughs> to enter the weekend uh, as we uh, prepare for the Lord's Day on Sunday. Prepare to worship God with all of our lives and with songs of everlasting praise spilling off of our lips. As we come to the end of the show and as we um, prepare to, uh, to sign off, uh, as we prepare to listen to some music before the news, our prayers do go out to the elders and deacons holding the line in local churches all over our country, recognizing that your job is not easy and that your mm. calling is high, as well as to our missionaries who are serving the church by calling on the lost in foreign fields. We do trust that the Lord strengthens your arm. We pray for and we give much respect to all of our first responders, to police and to our defense force who dispense justice in our land as well as to firefighters, paramedics, our nation's nurses, medical personnel, as well as correctional service officers who serve all over in our country uh, and do their duty with great diligence. Uh, we thank you for your service and you are in our weekly prayers. You've been listening to Table Talk with me, your host, alongside Teppel Pitzel. Um, we've enjoyed speaking to you uh, this morning. We're gonna be going to news now, and so until next week, Friday, walk wisely, Live holy and testify zealously. Amen. Amen.